0: Hello and welcome to the Pint of Science Ireland podcast. I'm Daniel Giffney and today we're bringing you extended cuts from the science festival taking place in pubs all across Ireland as part of international Pint of Science. Today, we're talking with Marion Bartel, a PhD candidate in UCD studying gender bias in natural language processing models. Marion has a background in linguistics and has studied and researched in many places around the world. She brings an interesting, multidisciplinary approach as well as a multicultural approach to solving the problems that come up with models like ChatGPT. Grab fine, it's starting. Hi, welcome to Point of Science Ireland. I'm Daniel Giffney and I'm here with Marion Bartel. Thank you for being here for this Marian.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And just to give uh, you a heads up and the listeners, one of our questions is written by ChatGPT. And we're just going to check in at the end to see if you and the listeners can tell which one. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now?
1: Um, Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. I am originally from Germany, and I didn't always work in AI or computer science. I am originally from linguistics. Yeah, so I did my undergrad as kind of a double major in English and linguistics. Then I went abroad um, for uh, summer school and for a semester abroad, and through the courses there, I realized that there is a certain connection between gender and language, and I got really interested in that. And then I did my bachelor thesis on gender-inclusive language in German job advertisements, and I realized that if I want to do this kind of analysis between gender and language on a bigger scale, then I need some sort of programming experience. And thankfully, there was a master's for that. So yeah, I did my master's in language and communication technologies. And that's how I got here. And now I'm doing a PhD looking at gender and AI.
0: That's that's super cool. Those are so many different interesting nodes that you've managed to pass through. There's been a lot of talk about natural language AIs recently. So could you tell me about any recent developments in the field that have led to this sudden rise in popularity? Um,
1: yeah, so I think what you're f- referring to is ChatGPT. Yeah, it's is crazy. Like a lot of people have um, started using it. And I think for people in the field, this kind of came as a big surprise because we kind of knew these models were out there. We kind of knew about the capacity, but we didn't know that they would be picked up that much. I think what led to their rise was a development in 2018. I mean, they're like, it's very incrementally, I think, like most research, one thing gets improved and another and another and another and the end is what we see today. But I think what really kind of came out there was in 2018 that people started making these large language models which had the capacity to represent text like internally to the machine by taking into account context as well it basically could instead of just understanding or just having a representation of single words it could have a representation of words what they mean within context so within a sentence it could distinguish between the word can for example you can say I can do this or I'm eating a can of soup so this distinction will suddenly be able to be modeled. And so this kind of led to a big increase in the capacity of language models overall.
0: That's also really cool. I'm sorry, I'm going to say that a lot in this episode. Um, <laughs> I think you explained it really well.
1: I appreciate it. Could you
0: explain to me a little bit about the different types of, of natural language processing systems?
1: There are a lot of different systems. I have to say in the field, we usually call them tasks that can be performed. So there there are a lot of people working on one specific task. But I think you can make the overall distinction distinction into two groups. The first is understanding and the other one is generation. So you would want a system to be able to understand language, be that written language or spoken language, and you would want it to give this language back as well. So to generate some text or generate an output or generate some voice. So that's what you would see in Alexa, for example. Alexa can recognize, understand, and then create an output back. Unfortunately, I can't tell you very much about all of the stuff that has to do with speech, because I usually work in text. So yeah, so what I'm going to say next probably is going to be related to text specifically. So let's say we want like the easiest task, I think out there is sentiment analysis, one of the easiest tasks. So you have two pieces of text, and you want to know is what that person said positive or negative. Yeah, that's one of the kind of standard beginner tasks. And... What you would do is you would have all of these words in the two, let's say we're looking at tweets, because this is a really important one for marketing purposes as well. Like if as a company you want to know about what your customers think about your product. And you could, for example, get all of the tweets that are related to your product by using hashtags or just searching for them and then analyzing them for their sentiment. So you would have all of the different words. So you would have to segment a tweet into all of its different words. And then the machine basically, or the algorithm, learns to represent all of the words in a tweet by a number of numbers. It's called a vector, and that kind of encodes the meaning of these words. So basically, based on those things the system can make a decision whether it's positive or negative based on a lot of training examples.
0: Okay, so that's, that's really interesting how it's represented and stuff. One of the applications I didn't even think of was the marketing side, which I probably should have thought of, but it's like high speed marketing, analyzing people's behavior and stuff.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So moving on from that to maybe a bit more of a a noble goal in terms of your research and understanding bias. So could you tell us a little bit about what is meant by bias and specifically bias in the context of AI?
1: Bias is a term that's a bit of a catch-all field as well. And there have been studies about that it's a problem, that it's a catch-all. So bias could mean a bunch of different things. I think in layman's terms, you would equate it with prejudice, But it could also just be statistical, like leaning towards a certain group. If there is more of something represented in the data, then it has a bias towards that something.
0: So could you tell us a bit about your area of expertise, specifically bias in natural language systems?
1: So I work with language models. My research object is stuff like ChatGPT or basically what is underlying all of this. And I yeah, I often say I work in bias in AI. That means that I look at how language or how these language models encode a bunch of stereotypes that are out there, that are contained in text, and how they influence the performance of the models. That's what I look at, and specifically in terms of gender bias. Yeah, I look at how stereotypes or gender stereotypes are encoded in language models, and I try to Mm -hmm. get them out of there, basically. Mm
0: -hmm. So how exactly would you go about picking apart the links between, say, a particular gender and a particular bias that's associated with that gender.
1: That's that's a hard one, because all we have is words. So we can have some words that traditionally carry a certain stereotype. For example, like doctors and nurses. Traditionally, there's more women working as nurses and more men working as doctors. And that will be represented in text as well. So, for example, the word he will more often occur with the word doctor in the same sentence than the word she. And then she will more often occur with the word nurse than it will occur with the word doctor. So then what we can do is we can take the word representations and we see how close they are to each other, which is one thing that we can do so we can see how much associated they are. So you would probably expect that the word nurse is more closely associated to the word she than the word doctor. And that's how we kind of tear apart the biases that are in there. Of course, we're not doing that for just two word pairs, but for lists of different word pairs. You could, for example, in this case, look at professions. You could take all the professions that are technically skewed towards male gender or like more people of male gender perform the professions and then see whether that is also represented in the models. The thing is that I'm talking about bias here because profession words like nurse, like doctor, like bus driver, kindergarten teacher all these professions can be carried out by anyone, irrespective of their gender. In an ideal world, the representations for those that are learned by the language models, they would not be associated to any gender at all. So kind of showing that everyone can do them, there's the same likelihood for women and men or for people of any gender really to perform the professions and that's kind of what ideally we would want the language model to learn
0: that's that's super interesting it also makes me think about just within my own field i know that there seems to be a gender bias between Mm -hmm. phds versus pis like there's a there's a difference in scale in terms of how people progress so it's interesting to think how your tools could be applied to separate the biases that we already have Mm -hmm. in our system What methods and tools are you using to evaluate gender bias in natural language processing systems? And how do you ensure the reliability and validity of those findings?
1: Um, Yeah, that's actually a great question. And one that, you know, cuts deep, if you could say that. Um, (laughs) So there are a couple of tools. It's really difficult. And because you mentioned reliability, with the tools that we have currently, we can not measure the absence of bias. We can just measure the presence of bias. So as I kind of mentioned before, we can look for associations between different words and in what directions they're skewed, but really there's always going to be a little bit of a skew, and we cannot say, oh, this, this is where it should be. This is no bias at all. Also, so we can test if there's bias in general in the model, but we cannot test if that's all the bias, if that's all the stuff that we don't want in the model. So let's say we have 20 professions and we test associations with a bunch of pronouns or words that are related to gender, like man, woman, girl, boy, and uncle, that kind of stuff in English, then maybe we haven't checked all of the professions or all of the words that carry gender. And yeah, this is really, this is basically an open research problem. So we're doing that, we're testing associations. Another thing that we can do is, especially when talking about language models, we can look At whether a model is confused by a sentence or not. That's generally the measure that we use to assess whether a language model is doing well or not, is to measure something called perplexity. And it just basically is the confusion of the language model. So if it knows what it's doing, then it's less confused. And if it doesn't, then it's more confused, like humans, basically. Mm -hmm. But I want to stop the anthropomorphizing right there. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, we could measure the entire sentence, like the girl works as a bus driver. And then we could measure the perplexity on that sentence and measure the perplexity between that sentence and the boy works as a bus driver. We can also look for sentence completion. So if I give you these three words, which would be the next likely word, like WhatsApp, basically, because that's what... This is also based on if you if you go on WhatsApp and WhatsApp tells you which word to use next, that is based on a language model. So it's taking the first couple of words and then telling you what words come next. There's some really interesting research going on with sentence completion, for example, with words relating to LGBTQAI plus individuals. So basically, if you use an identity term, like, for example, the... Trans woman walked across the street, and then you let the model finish. And the researchers found that in these cases, especially with words relating to queer individuals, that the model would complete the sentence with basically an attack on the identity 13% of the time, which is not great.
0: Wow, Jesus, that's crazy. Are there different methods for detecting bias in non English languages, particularly those where gender plays an important role in grammar?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, even though I'm a speaker of German, I haven't been working with the languages, with other languages that much. Actually, I've been mainly working with English. So what I can tell you is that most approaches were initially developed for English because that's where the cutting-edge technology sits. And then a lot of times these methods are being adopted for other languages, also languages with grammatical gender. There are some approaches where, for example, you would tease out the component of language that is the grammar versus the component that is the social gender, basically trying to do that, see how these representations can be teased apart, and then just have a look at the social gender component.
0: I think you've probably touched on this a good few times as we come to questions, and it may be a bit self-evident. But I'd be interested to hear if you have any other takes on it. Why does it matter if an AI system is biased?
1: I think it matters because this technology is all around us. Like I said before, it's in Google searches, it's in our phones, it's in our homes like with Alexa and Siri and all of the other virtual assistants that are out there. And now with ChatGPT and what most people don't realize is that attitudes that are contained in the training data, they get absorbed into the models as well. And so if there are common stereotypes let's say, stereotype that men go to work and women look after the children in the home, if they are ingrained in these models, then the output is also going to be influenced by that. And the stereotypes are going to persist in society because one of the things that we interact with, except for other humans, is now this technology. It's
0: It's super interesting because, like you are saying, it's quite subtle and it's making me think of, you know, the idea of life reflecting art, art reflecting life, and now it's more like AI reflecting life and life reflecting ai if, if those are the tools we yeah. use every day yeah so the thing i would think of with the roadblocks is uh, from my understanding of language it's kind of a somewhat finite set of tools that could be used to express an infinite number of phrases so even if you set up a roadblock there are so many different ways to get around that logically with language do you think that is something that can functionally work or do you think we should maybe take a step to think a bit more ethically about our models before we release them
1: Yeah, the second, definitely. I think the release has kind of been... Not necessarily this release. I think this release was more driven by by research interest. And then became clear that this could be monetized really well. But yeah, I think the models, especially at this scale, shouldn't be necessarily released right now until further tests are being done. There recently was this open letter to ask to stop the development of further models for, I think, six months, and everyone's kind of been decrying it a little bit, like, this is not going to stop the development of language models. And I agree, it it won't. But I still think that the models are what they're capable of is just not known to a large enough extent or the impact that it's going to have. So I think it does make sense to kind of slow it down at this point. Also, another thing is that these models, they take a large amount of energy to train models like ChatGPT or the underlying models of that. It would be something like 10 to 12 round flights from Dublin to New York every day. Like there's a large, large energy consumption associated with these models.
0: Thanks for sharing your expertise and your perspective on this, because there's so much, again, that I haven't thought of about these things. So based on your work and how things are being reported in the media, how do you feel about the future of AI, and specifically natural language processing system?
1: I'm basically taking things as they come. I'm not pessimistic at all. I think there is a lot of hype, especially around the capabilities of language models, because as we said, they they do sound like a human. One phrase I think that has been repeated a lot is that it's more artificial than intelligent. And I'd say the robots are not coming for your jobs at all. (laughs) All the jobs that could be done by this still need a human to check that everything is working well, even checking that the model gets the right prompts, for example. Like if you want to have ChatGPT write an article, you need someone to tell it to write an article about what in the article needs to be fact-checked. That's an important one. I think maybe that's where I get a bit pessimistic, is that the capabilities of ChatGPT and language models like that, they're just a little bit overhyped in the sense that people don't necessarily know that what is put out there is not the facts it's what is most talked about in the training data so if something that is false is talked about a lot in the training data then that's what chatgpt is going to repeat and yeah that's important to know that you can search for it and you can get a lot of important information from it or interesting information, but it's not a given that it's factual at all. It's a bit like Wikipedia in that sense that it took us a long time to learn that Wikipedia is not always a reliable source and that Wikipedia is written by people who are not necessarily scientists or people who know about The things that they're writing about in a similar sense, ChatGPT is not a reliable source. No,
0: that's a really good answer. And it made me think of a couple of friends of mine who are software engineers, who were very much like dismissive of how powerful this software was because they're like, people don't know what they want they don't know how to ask for prompts so if someone asks them to do something it's almost always not detailed enough for them to get their teeth into it so there's always going to be the room for the person who speaks the language of prompts and to intermediate
1: that exactly and there's also the creativity of people people can come up with new things all the time and what these language models do is just they replicate what people have done before them which it's not to say that People don't replicate what, what has come before them. But I think the space of creativity is much, much larger for humans and for AI.
0: No, that's, again, super interesting. I need an AI model to generate new prompts or new ways of saying that's fascinating because I'm running out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that, that would only generate the ones you've probably said before or other people have <laughs> said before.
0: Okay. So a question to both Marion and the listeners Can you tell which question was written by a natural language processing system?
1: That is a very, very hard question, and I think I'm going to have this wrong, probably. I think that the question that was written by ChatGPT would be the one about identifying and challenging underlying biases and stereotypes in society that currently go unnoticed.
0: That's, that's a good guess. It was actually the one that you said cuts to the bone, cuts to the point of it. It was the one around your methods and tools. So I'll just say the question again, what methods and tools are you using to evaluate gender bias in natural language processing systems? And how do you ensure the reliability and validity of your findings? To be fair, I think if I, someone gave me that question, I would be more scared <laughs> than uh, like the, thinking about it as written by someone else because it's quite a, <laughs> a heavy one too answer it's quite a lot of processing so but I think unfortunately the other question was written by me
1: (laughs) (laughs) as I said I'm gonna have this wrong and I mean there are people trying to figure out this as well like they're trying to write systems to decipher whether something was written by AI or not
0: so again I'd like to thank you one more time for coming on the pod and where can people find you if they want to look into your research or follow anything else
1: yeah so if you Google my name, you can find me on the Inside website. This is where I work, the Inside SFI Center for Data Analytics. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. I think my handle is at Marion underscore Bartle. And yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to chat.
0: Okay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a real pleasure. That's everything for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about us or point of science island follow point of science ie on twitter and instagram and find us wherever you get your podcasts marion can be found on twitter at m-a-r-i-o-n underscore b-a-r-t-l this podcast series is produced by yola's productions bringing you more on science and society and all things in between through multimedia this episode was made with peter cox on sound and editing assistance from Annette nuggety Research assistance was also from Peter Cox, Daniel Giffney, and a special guest researcher, Julius Hulesman. Thanks to the co-directors of Pint of Science Ireland for 2023, Ashley Gorman and Kevin Mercurio, as well as SFI. And thanks again to Marion for joining us for this episode. Pint of Science Ireland is part of a global initiative, Pint of Science, which aims to bring research to you, the people that fund it. This has been Daniel Giffney.